This episode of Talk of the Devils is sponsored once more by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit 1 million orders phase. Yep, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling ETH style turtleneck sweaters or blueprints for brand new stadiums, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to Talk of the Devils, you can sign up for our $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash reddevils, all in lowercase without any spaces. So go to shopify.com slash reddevils to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash reddevils. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. Coming up, we've got a bit of a finances special. We're going to take a dive into United's latest financial results and try to make sense of exactly what it means for the club. We'll bring you the latest transfer news as well. There's not much coming in, but there is a little bit going out. And there's news from Sir Jim Radcliffe's meetings with fans and locals this week as well. Plus yet more detail on how his investment was negotiated completed. It's an episode of FFP, PSR and SECs, but don't worry, we're still hoping to have a few LOLs in there as usual. We've got the whole crew together. We've got Laurie Whitwell, Andy Mitten, Kyle Anker, and we also are joined by our mate Critch. Hello, Mark Critchley. How are we doing? We all right? We're good. Um, You're here for a very important task as well, aren't you? Oh dear, yes. Um, I am the numbers guy somehow. The the Yonah from Chorley is... Now a chartered accountant somehow, maybe the first. <laughs> yeah, you're our Rachel Riley, aren't you, to modernise the countdown numbers person. Basically, we're going to start the pod by looking at United's first quarter financial results. They were announced yesterday and exactly how that works for United and their PSR calculation, which is the Premier League's profit and sustainability rules. You would have seen this week, I'm sure by now, that Everton and Nottingham Forest were found in breach of those rules. Um, one of the possible punishments is a points deduction. Yes, another points deduction for Everton. They've been in trouble twice. Uh, there's some controversy around it, of course, and the rules are going to change in August as well, but we'll try and make sense of all of that and, of course, relate it back to Manchester United because these first quarter results for the tax year are quite concerning. Uh, First of all, I think I need to clarify, just to sort of state our credentials here, who is actually good at maths out of the five of us? <laughs> I actually got an A at A-level maths. Incredible. That's good. I'm glad yeah. you're on Yeah, then. I know. Yeah. Did you? Why are you signing so surprised? Wow. Ooh. That's hard. I know you I was. Hide it well. I was. Have I not shouted about this before? No. 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 I got a U at AS level maths. So did I. I retook it and got a B, but yeah. What type of mass, Laurie? It was like, yeah, it was like calculus and cosine and all that stuff. I can't really remember exactly. It was just the normal mass that you did. For some reason, I felt, I did maths at GCSE and got an A. Further maths? It wasn't, for, I think further maths is like, you you would really are a boffin. Right. It, it was just, you, you bog standard yeah, you A-level maths. <laughs> but it was, it was pretty complex stuff. And for some reason, I just managed to hit a sweet spot with it. 
And they were right. like, you know, they were looking at me thinking, how's this idiot, you know, make, doing these sums okay. and making it all work. <laughs> but that's why I've obviously passed on the responsibility to Critch on this kind of thing. So Laurie won't need a calculator <laughs> like the rest of us. Andy, you're keeping quiet. I could I could blitz through a hundred fanzines. I could count <laughs> them because I'm really good at that. But I remember flunking one massive exam at school where the teacher said, you're clearly distracted and you really shouldn't be covering a coin in Tipex and flicking it to someone so that when they catch it, it goes all over their hands. So a definite no. <laughs> Don't you need to know trigonometry though, Andy, for all your... Stand construction and, and sight lines. I probably do, but I don't. Oh. That's why I talk about it and, uh, you know, <laughs> the president of Real Madrid doesn't get in touch to ask me to design a new stand, but I can have an opinion on it, can't I? But no. Nah. It is mental yeah. that this job is supposed to be like, watch a game of football, write about it, speak to people maybe, and it's become, with United, this thing where you need degrees and you need, you know, to understand corporate law and, and you know, SEC yeah. well, by, by the way, listening to this podcast is supposed to be about football and fun and all <laughs> yeah. that sort of stuff, not yeah. about corporate law and finances. But here we are. Right, let, let's get into it then. Like we say, Chris, you are here for a special reason. So what do Manchester United's first quarter financial results tell us about the state of the club at the moment? First quarter results are only part of the picture, right? It's the first quarter. United do them, basically no other Premier League club doesn't, but United do them because they're publicly listed on the New York Stock Exchange and so their shares are bought and sold every day and it's it's a way of giving investors a kind of up-to-date look on the performance of the company. And so the first quarter runs from the 1st of July, 30th of September, takes in the summer window and you'll have seen yesterday when, when, the, when the release dropped, there was a lot of figures flying around, if you like, you know, record revenues, net losses, Wages up eight million from the same period last year, etc., etc., etc. All the simplify stuff. it for us, mate. Well, I, that's it. Just forget about it. Is the simple way. Just forget about all that. It's only three months. It's only the first quarter. It's not as enlightening as the full year accounts that we got for last season a few months ago. Um, so a bigger picture will form in time. I think yesterday when those numbers dropped, the most important figure for me that I immediately looked for was the pre-tax loss pre-tax profit or loss and that was a pre-tax loss of 32.8 million pounds for united in the first quarter now why is that important the reason that's important is because the pre-tax profit or loss is the starting point for your premier league psr calculations what we've been hearing about all week in terms of everton in terms of nottingham forest in terms of point deductions etc that's the starting point for that calculation and so that was the important thing to note from yesterday i think 32.8 million pre-tax loss for the first quarter of this year yeah and the previous two years as well united had recorded a loss of 215 million if you add in the first quarter and those two years together it's 215 million the loss for manchester united and it obviously that's not great but what do united think about this well united know it's not Great. And you've had a situation this week where Sir Jim Ratcliffe and his team have been having multiple meetings. And my understanding is that they're fully aware that things are not that good, that Manchester United are seriously in debt, that the credit facilities have been heavily drawn upon, and that this is symptomatic of a club who've not been doing things as well as their rivals or as well as Manchester United uh, should have done. They're looking to improve. They think that they can identify and improve on the way that the club has been being run. But Manchester United is this huge cash cow, but even this cow is running dry of milk, if that makes sense. (laughs) 
Is that right? Does that make Who's sense? Who's got the udders, yeah. The udders are dry. The long udders because they stretch all the way to Florida, but they've been milked extensively for a long, long time. Is that fair, Critch? You're, you know, you've been studying rule 7.26B.X. I don't remember finding any part in there about udders, but I think as a metaphor, it kind of works. How many stomachs are involved? Cheers, Critch. Just stand up in court if need be, I'll accept that. Yeah, it did just about work. I, I suppose as well we should point out that the exact rules uh, that the Premier League clubs have to meet as well, uh, Critch. So United have to be below the 105 million mark over a rolling three-year period, and that's a loss, obviously. Every time this is calculated each season, they need to be below a loss of 105 million total across the three previous years. So if they're running at a loss of 215 million at the moment for two years plus this first quarter. Does that mean that they've got a lot of work to do in the next three quarters? So they're going to have to make a profit of what, 110 million? Is that how it works? No, not specifically that. Okay. No, you're right. There's the, the 105 million pound limit and 215 million over two and a bit years. That doesn't look great, right? There's clearly a problem here. The thing is that you can make deductions from that loss to get you below the total. And those deductions are generally for things that are seen to be like investments in areas that are, are to the long-term benefit of the game. So things like women's football, youth development, community work, that sort of thing. All the money that you've spent on that over that three-year period will get taken away. There's other areas, there's little, like little accounting things that get taken off it as well, depreciation of assets. So like if you built a new training ground, that that cost is, 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 is quite complex stuff this, but Basically, there's big figures that United can take off for each of the years to get that down below 105 million. But <laughs> is that enough? That's the big question, right? Is that going to be enough ultimately? And from this point, given that we've still got three quarters of the of the third year to go, it's difficult to it's difficult to say. It's almost impossible to say, really, because so much could happen between that has happened since September and could happen between now and the end of June. But because a lot of the numbers are out there, you can you can roughly estimate it. And I think if you wanted to do a best guess at the minute, you'd say that if United are going to have the typical kind of financial year, they'll probably end up somewhere below the 105 million limit, but above the lower 50 million limit. There's a lower limit as well, which gets missed in a lot of this discussion. There's a lower limit of 15 million. And if you have losses that are between 15 million and 105 million, they need to be covered by cash, by Using it, dipping into the credit facility again, or they could be covered by ownership funding. This is really relevant for United because in the past, we all know the Glazers aren't that keen to put their hand in the pocket, right? So if United had crossed that threshold, the Glazers wouldn't supply the funding to sort that out and to cover those losses. Um, the key difference now is, obviously, that we've got Sir Jim Ratcliffe's 300 million investment. That would seem to fit the definition of what the Premier League say is funding that could be used to cover PSR losses. So there's potential for, for that money to be used to to basically make uh, United PSR compliant. But as we all know from, from the SEC filings and all the stuff that we've seen over the last few weeks, that money is actually set aside for Old Trafford. It's supposed to go into the redevelopment of the stadium. So there's questions there, more questions than answers at the minute about exactly how United would cover losses if they found themselves 
over the 15 million limit but below 105 that will yeah like i say we'll only figure out in time but the important thing is to come under that 105 million pound limit because that's when your punishments and your 10 point deductions start kicking in i'm so glad you're here yeah thank you very much um <laughs> that makes sense yeah completely so united's finances are a concern certainly but there is scope for this to be improved sufficiently or mitigated sufficiently across the rest of the tax year in order for them not to face the sort of situation that Everton and Nottingham Forest are facing. Is there any fear that United will have to do a fire sale of players in order to get their money right? Yeah, it's a good question. I think that, um, again, like it's difficult to estimate from this position exactly, exactly where they'll be. Like I said, I think if they're going to have a typical year, they'll probably end up above that lower limit that they could just cover through losses. And so they'd be they'd be okay. They could just use the cash. They could use Ratcliffe's investment to make sure that they're compliant. But if they are close to that upper £105 million limit, then yeah, it becomes a situation where player sales are definitely going to help. And I think you can see that this 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 window, right? Like there's, there's basically no incoming activity not just at United, but across the whole Premier League market, everyone's looking over their shoulder now. 10% everyone's of last year's spooked. spend at this stage were at yeah, this transfer window across the Premier League. Yeah, exactly. Like everybody, I think there was an interview with the Newcastle chief executive, uh, I think it's Darren Eels, uh, last week, who said that 10-point deduction has shown to everybody that PSR has teeth and more and more clubs are looking over their shoulder and, and, and are thinking, can we really afford to shell out 20, 30 million on a player that we might or might not need this January. Um, that's why you've seen a slowdown in the market. It's the same at United. And we all remember the situation last summer, right? Um, when obviously Mount, Anana, Hoyland come in for, for big fees. But once those three players are in, everything went a little bit quiet and suddenly they were haggling over a loan fee for Amrabat the January before, limited to Veghorst, Butland and Sabitzer coming in on loan. It's been the case like that in January for quite a while now. It could be that we come to a point where, like we were at in the summer, players that are on the fringes of the squad, in the summer it was Scott McTominay, it was Harry Maguire, that United are looking to move those on and, and collect fees for them to to help ease their FFP concerns. Um, <laughs> since then, Scott McTominay and Harry Maguire have become pretty fundamental parts of the team when they've been fit and, and available. So, Well, they've upped the value. They've certainly upped the value. And look, there's other players as well, like... Jaden Sancho has obviously gone out on loan to, to Dortmund now. Um, if he performs well, you'd imagine he's somebody who could command a bit of resale value. Again, I think United have moved towards this model with the academy players where they're, you know, unless you're at the Garnacho or Kobe Mainu levels, then then they're looking to shift them on, as we've seen with Alvaro Fernandez and, and Hannibal Benchbury with with options in their loan deals this 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 January. So and it, you know, if you can sell academy players that have come through the academy from the very start there's no transfer fee attached so it all goes down as pure profit in the books as well that can only help so I'm sure that United will still look to follow this policy that they have been really for a year now of getting the financial situation right before before they really make huge investment in the in the playing squad itself but um yeah that more of that to come for the rest of this for the rest of this month and then into the summer as well last year united um accepted quote a minor break even deficit that was from uefa and i i asked someone and they said when united said the club continues to support the enforcement of rules to promote financial fair play and sustainability across domestic and european football the interpretation is that United are saying, look, we support 
the necessary financial sustainability rules and other clubs should do so too. Personally, I think it's a positive assertion by United because without strictly and fairly enforced financial fair play and sustainability, the league becomes a procession in which the richest club stockpile players and everybody else loses money trying to catch up. One last point on this um, in terms of the, the, the results, Carl. United debt just shy now of 1.2 billion. I mean, even Ineos's investment and the deep pockets they've got, that is going to be a huge challenge to shift that in the context of, of the losses that are being made at the moment as well. Yeah, I think it's a bit of realism to the optimism that's coming from some Jim Radcliffe's minority investment. Is the When you put, look at all of these numbers, you realise it's going to take years multiple years two three four five six rather than that maybe more yeah rather than that hopeful one summer transfer window will fix everything um everything has to be everything looks like it's going to be downstream from the club economics and economics aren't great at the moment we're not quite at the stage where your mate selling his ipod to cex or asking if anyone wants his old mobile phone but it's not great, is it? Laurie? I just echo what Andy said there, really, in that these regulations were all, you know, they, they voted for them. It's the clubs that make these rules, basically. Um, and I think if you don't have kind of strict regulation, to you know, to, to a point, it's like you, you make a lot of money as a Premier League club, so to lose that money is kind of, you know, poor management, really. And I know it's it's the, it's chasing glory, isn't it? It's... it's People might say it's it's anti-aspiration uh, to kind of enforce these kind of regulations, but otherwise, I do feel like you get you know we've got nation states owning clubs now. You know, like <laughs> you can't get away from that. So what if you don't have these kind of restrictions? They're just able to put as much money in as they can, and, and you know, money ultimately trumps all. You, you know, usually in sport, if you spend the most, you, you get you know. I know Everton have and United have probably showing that that's not always the case, but you know. <laughs> Typically, if you if you spend the most money, you, you win the most. Um, so I think that's why these are important. That not being said, I'm not giving the Glazers a free pass here by saying clearly they're you know they might be thinking well you know we don't want to put our own money in. Uh, they never have done. They've obviously taken massive money out of the club, and as you've just pointed out there, the overall debt, which takes in the gross debt that they you know use to buy the club in the first place, the transfer fees that they owe, the revolving credit facilities, all those kind of things put together, it's an absolutely astonishing number, and we should never lose sight of that because just think of what that money could have been used for for the good of the club, and we'll get into the SEC filing as well because obviously more money going out of the club for the fact of the Glazers being able to sell their shares for a better share price, but uh, I do feel that overall these regulations are a positive thing for the game because it just increases competitiveness I think Critch I'm going to let you go and have a cup of tea and a lie down after that thank you very much <laughs> so for being much. with us and uh, Thanks, simplifying Critch. a very complicated situation Top man cheers boys pleasure if you want to know even more about the financial situation across the Premier League with FFP or as it's known uh, to English domestic football PSR there are a couple of podcasts I can point you in the direction of on the Athletic Football Podcast feed from Monday and Tuesday uh, so go and have a look at those. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Right, something that might make our heads hurt a little less, but still make our heads hurt a little bit, and that's transfers. Kyle... Nothing coming in, as we've established, but plenty of little things simmering going out now. And that's quite a disrespectful way to talk about Manchester United youth team players. I'm loath to use the term deadwood, but this is the phase where players who are surplus to requirements are going. Um, You may remember right at the start of the season, Laurie and I had a talk about Alvaro Fernandes. And I said, if Luke Shaw's on a long-term contract and Terrell Molasso's on a long-term contract, term contract then one of Brandon Williams and Fernandez is available and Fernandez probably should be sold because he's an academy player to which Laura was like ah you could probably keep him for a little bit because he's young and he's got some talent and it seems like the accountants at Manchester United have taken the uh, academy profit opinion so he's off to Benfica right now I'm actually quite excited for him they're giving him the number three shirt and he seems to be it seems like he's going to get a lot of minutes because uh, Benfica are missing. Um, since they sold Grimaldo to buy a Leverkusen, they've needed someone in that left-back slot. So this could be a really good opportunity for him. But we're, we're going to see this a, a bit more now where young players who are perhaps third, fourth, maybe even fifth choice for the position, rather than being sent out on loan, get some minutes to come back, are now being looked at to, to leave permanently to help United get closer in this PSR state. And the terms, Andy, of this are if he plays 50% of matches between now and the end of the season, Benfica are obligated to buy Fernandez. That's right, isn't it? That's correct. And everything what Carl says is right. It's about getting money in. It's taking money off United's wage bill. It, it's all about being more financially astute. But it's also about making a decision. Is this person going to make it at Manchester United? Yes or no? Is this going to happen? Is he good enough? And... Fans don't tend to like that. There's definitely a, let the kids have a chance. They can't be any worse than 
what we're seeing already, well, actually, they can be much, much worse. So Alvaro did really well when he went to Preston North End last year. Laurie did a piece on him. He's not had so many minutes at a really struggling Granada team this year. If he can get into Benfica's team, then fantastic for him because Benfica's a really good club, huge support, proven track record of selling players to the Premier League for top money. And Manchester United have bought several of them, not always the right ones. But if United can be in a position, should he come back? And at this moment, it doesn't look like he's going to be the next Roberto Carlos. Then I don't think it's such bad business for, for Manchester United. I, I, I wish him well. The Fernandes one is interesting in there's a minutes clause where Benfica are obligated to buy him for £6 million if he plays a certain amount. But also if, if he doesn't play, Benfica still retain... Uh, an option to buy as well, which is, it's not quite pushing a player out the door, but it's making sure that, that there is a very clear exit plan for him because, as we've seen, there are three, maybe four bodies at left back now who are going to be ahead of him between now and, let's say, 2026. Yeah, and we've spoken on the podcast before about wanting Manchester United to get better at selling players and maximising the value out of some of the, the younger players and the fringe players as well. The sign of yet more heading out as well, Andy, including Hannibal, which has been confirmed as a loan transfer to Spain. But he might not be alone in heading to the Liga this month. No, he's, he's going to, to Seville, uh, neighbours of, of Granada uh, in Andalusia, where Alvaro was playing. United have got quite strong relations with Granada, um, going back to when Andreas Pereira went, was uh, on loan. And he did well. And Facundo Palestre may go to Granada. That'd be a second the league of strugglers he'd play for because he was at Alaves, if you remember, a couple of years ago. So even though Granada looked like they're going down, he could still be getting good minutes against top teams. They're actually in competition with Sevilla to go down. Sevilla, believe it or not, the reigning Europa League holders are 17th. They've won one league game since September. They're on the third manager of the season. There's instability there. The new chairman, his father was the old chairman and his father is briefing against him. It's like something out of a Cervantes novel. It's absolutely crazy. So Out of a what? Cervantes novel. The famous Spanish writer, he based a lot of his books in Andalusia, the jealous ex de Madura and this sort of stuff. And it was all about plot. Shakespearean, all right? Okay, there's no maths going on, but there's a bit of English. Yeah. <laughs> very, very quickly getting out Look of my depth here, even though I've got a lot of books behind me. But I do stand by what I've said. So Hannibal has been watched by Sevilla for a few years. They watched him very closely when he was at Birmingham City, where he did well on, on loan. Um, they need goals. They need to stop conceding goals. Do they need yellow cards? They're really, really <laughs> struggling. Well, look, I spoke to Neil Wood, his old manager, about his yellow cards, and Neil was glowing about Hannibal, but he said his petulance is the one area which he needs to wind in, and he also needs to score more and and, and assist more. Sevilla 17th. Mm. You know, this is a Sevilla who beat United 3-0 last April, famously so, in a Probably the best atmosphere of last year. Laurie ordered chips. We won't say that again, but he did. Big player. Um, I hope it works out better for him than it did for Anthony Martial when he went to Sevilla. I really do, because it is a deeply troubled club at the moment. That said, they had um, a good Copa del Rey win against Hetafe. Mason Greenwood was playing for Hetafe the other night. Sergio Ramos scored for Sevilla. He will become a teammate of, of Hannibal Mejbri. And again, if he can play well... Traditionally, Sevilla have got a really good record of catching still young stars and elevating them. And, and yet, Manchester United are going to get good money for Hannibal. 
We've seen a bit of Annabelle this season. Did he look good enough? I mean, I watched him in that Newcastle League Cup game, I think it was, and I was a bag of nerves because I thought he was going to get sent off after 15 minutes. But he's clearly got a level and, and hopefully he can do well, help Sevilla rise, and he did rise a year ago, partly because United helped him rise by giving him so much belief, then it will be a good, good loan for him. I would just cut in maybe slightly on what Andy said there about good money because, I mean, they bought Hannibal for €10 million Euro to million pounds can't remember exactly which one it was you know when he was 16 year old so they've sold him for 17 million euro plus uh, a little bit extra right um so i mean i kind of sense that that's yeah, it's, okay, it's profit, and United haven't been able to say that um, on a lot of players. I think Dan James's car always <laughs> mentions that he's the he's the one, right? Um, four. But is it this four? Okay, like Daily Blinds one, right? And Blinds it's, one, it, Butner's but one. It's, it, it, it's really minor stuff. Is it is Han, Hernandez one? Javier Hernandez? Did they say Andreas Pereira? Pereira. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was. Yeah. Got 10 yeah to be fair, Pereira was yeah. probably a, a decent one. Um, I suppose I'm just sort of wondering: is there any? You sort of see these other clubs sell. Players it shouldn't be this for, difficult you know, to name them, should it? Yeah, I think that's kind of my point. And I mean, I suppose, listen, time will tell, won't it? Like, if he goes on and doesn't really do much in his career, if he, if he signs for Sevilla, ultimately, then I suppose you go, well, listen, they, they made, they had him for a bit. They thought he might be really good. It didn't turn out that he was level at United, but they've sold him. Alvaro Fernandez, I've got a soft spot for him. Yeah, Carl's right. I sort of thought you could keep keep him around a little bit. Um, I just think he's he's got that kind of personality that you want to sort of buy into, and, and the attacking play that he had was, was great. Admittedly, he had to do work on his defensive stuff. Um, and they only got him for like you know a nominal fee uh, when he signed, like I think two hundred grand or something, because he was out of contracts in Spain. Um, so six million euro with a potential three million add on. It's again, it's it's profit. Could you get more? He's not played in the Premier League for United, so I, I can see the, the difficulties of it. But it's it's kind of in time we will see, I guess, how good these deals are ultimately. Fringe players get sold for for higher value when the team, the first team, is doing well. So this is why. Yeah. This is one big reason why Manchester City can magic up 20 million for their academy goalkeeper because Man City won a lot of trophies last season, apparently. Chelsea can sell some of their fringe players for a large amount of money because they, even though they've, you know, managerial instability for year on year on year on year, are there or thereabouts and able to, to win a trophy somehow. It's really hard for Manchester United to do that because, well, there's very little evidence that Manchester United's first choice central midfielder is one of the best players in the league. So how do you convince the rest of the league that their fourth or fifth choice is actually really, really good? There's also the problem about wages. So Brandon Williams is on, meant to, I think Brandon Williams is on north of £60,000 a week, which is a lot of money for any team that might be interested in a player like Brandon Williams. And you've also got the new fun wrinkle of uh, Eric Ten Hag doesn't really like rotating the team. So, you know, near full strength against Wigan. Wigan is, whether you like it or not, that's a perfect opportunity to put some of these younger players into the shop window, give them just enough minutes so, you know, Laurie or Dan or myself can go, oh, look at this fun player. Here's a 3,000 word article about why they're really, really, really good. And that can put a seed in someone I like Fulham's mind going, oh, maybe he is really, really good. And then you can sell that player for 20 million rather than 15 million. The Alanga situation is really good. Some of this, where Alanga, there was a point in time where maybe you could have got more money for him, but Ten Hag just wasn't playing him last season. So he was in this theoretical zone. They got a decent amount not to they got a decent amount of money for him from Nottingham Forest, but could you got five more million for him if you played him 10, 15 minutes more towards the end of last season? Maybe. 
We're going to see an end to this, by the way, because all of these players, Hannibal, Mark Gerardo, Alvaro, Garnacho, Willy Cambaya, were all signed before the Brexit restrictions kicked in. They were all signed for good money. So these were players who were exciting at Atletico Madrid, but were way off the first team. And Manchester United gambled and paid top money for, for all of them. And Garnacho's worked out. You could probably vindicate the whole policy of getting Garnacho alone. We're not seeing any more of this. The rules have changed. British people voted for Brexit and you can no longer recruit players from the continent at the ages that these lads were recruited a few years ago. So Manchester United have had to change the whole recruitment policy because of this. Yeah, it's an interesting point. That's a key point as well, because it will look very different in the next two to three years. Just before we move on from transfers, dare I even ask, Laurie, is there any sign of anything coming in? I just don't hear anything. I mean, I know we sort of said at the start of the month, one or two loans and the striker situation would be something that they'd look at you know Anthony Marshall is in the stands for the Spurs game so is that a sign that he might be sort of coming back to fitness and in that situation okay Eric Tenag will kind of muddle through I don't hear anything at the moment I mean listen it could come to the point at the end of the month that they try and do something but as Andy got the exclusive before Christmas in United We Stand Tenag wasn't expecting anything uh, let alone even like a little sniff of a Valtvergost so um, and, and I think as Critch has explained <laughs> uh, the situation with their PSR uh, not their FFP as I sort of have, have kind of just really clung to I, I think my, we all uh, know it's the same sort of thing isn't same it? thing yeah. okay just too many acronyms aren't yeah. there Lol. Uh, is that even an acronym? Yeah, initialism, I suppose. It's not quite an acronym, is it? Um, you don't need sorry, to clarify. Really tedious. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> you know, um, not sign yeah. anyone then, yeah? Long-winning Ray, not sign anyone. There we go. Okay. I'm into Laurie bigging me up here. I paid him 30 quid for this and he's already got two good shouts in, so cheers, mate. Well, I have to do something because you seem to have spent the money on a, a pink uh, hoodie that I'm not too sure about. So, right. um, listen... You, you, the, some the way you dress, you can't call anybody out in the slightest. <laughs> You're on the thinnest device, so carry on, Ian. Carl's our, Carl's our arbiter of good fashion here, so I'm, I'm, what were you saying, Carl? I like it. I like it a lot. It was unexpected when the Zoom came up. Unexpected's probably the word, yeah. And um, if there is any unexpected Manchester United transfer business... You know where to find it on The Athletic. If you're not a subscriber and you want to look into any of the articles that we've talked about today, you can sign up now for $1.99 a month for the first 12 months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Right, we need to do the other acronym or whatever. The, what was the other word you used before, Larry, to describe a... Initialism. Initialism. S-E-C. Uh, what does it stand for, Larry? Securities and Exchange Commission. You put me on the spot there, and I'd suddenly had a flash of light, and I was like, I think that's what it stands for. So please, any lawyers out there, correct me if I'm wrong. But yeah, so it's this sort of, I mean, as Critch said, because United are a publicly listed company on the New York Stock Exchange, they have to, it seems, file this kind of document. I didn't know this was coming. I don't I don't know, did anyone else sort of expect them to give a kind of blow-by-blow account of the whole uh, sort of takeover talks? Um, and it's, you know, it's a legally binding document. So, you know, whilst it might seem some of the elements of it quite interesting and, and maybe contrary to the public perception at the time, this has to be as truthful as, as possible. It has to kind of stand up in court, really. So um, it's, it's kind of fascinating, some of the details in there. It, you know, maybe I'm getting excited because, you know, I'm sad like that um, and maybe people find it quite dry and boring. But there's a few choice um, sort of details that I think come out of it. The, the, the top one for me being that Ratcliffe actually threatened to walk away from the whole discussions on Christmas Day if uh, the pr- 
proposal that he'd finally come to and it, it took a lot of wrangling the, the details of which I found really interesting in terms of the, what he was offering for the class B shares compared to the class A shares but he basically like you know just before Christmas was like if you don't come back to me on this final proposal I'm walking away Christmas day so they've had to convene then a meeting um, of board members on Christmas Eve um, two of the independent directors weren't there I presume they were you know too busy with their families on <laughs> at Christmas um, and that's when this deal got um, sort of confirmed and then obviously it was Christmas Eve wasn't it where everybody uh, then was told about it um, and then the SEC filing then dropped on Boxing Day uh, just at full time of the Villa game so that's really interesting the, the kind of threat that that brought and then also you've got Sheikh Jassim's bid it doesn't actually say explicitly it's Sheikh Jassim but bid array it doesn't take um, you know Alan Turing to work out that the code there is, is Sheikh Jassim and it's basically this idea that he never provided proof of funds to them now you know he might say well I had a bank guarantee or, or whatever and it's felt from some sources that they were getting somewhere at certain points but it seems from the SEC filing that at no point was it actually really ever close because they were never given a uh, sort of guarantee of, of, of funds which is fascinating I'd love to drill down more into that and we might do in, in the days and weeks to come and then also there's a few other bits about the payments that certain people get so you've got you know some class A shareholders um, Edward Wood, Richard Arnold they'll obviously be uh, well reimbursed for their shares at 25% of which will be bought in Ratcliffe's offer and then obviously there's Rain, the merchant bank that's handling the sale they get a juicy fee of £25 million if you sort of go by exchange rates today um, and that goes out of Manchester United's um, accounts uh, so for the for the Glazers being able to sort of extend this for a whole you know 11 months to get the top dollar for their shares and it seems in the SEC they were trying to get you know good value for the class A shareholders you know but clearly that was to sort of push away the legal action that might have come from the class A shareholders had they not been given the same uh, price as the class B shareholders um, so Rain have got a lot of money out of it comes from the club coffers um, and I'm told so we asked the question does it work in in profit and sustainability rules it might not um, this kind of thing has happened before with Chelsea and AC Milan there's a precedent there as to whether it can be struck off as Critch was saying um, so we'll, we'll be seeing that in due course yeah $180 million is what Joe Glazer reportedly got for his 25% uh, sale of his shares which is and him waiting got him an extra $60 million because the first offer from Ratcliffe was $22 per share and obviously yeah. then grew to $33 so whilst me mate say that you know placed a cloud over the club for such a long period you know Joel's made an extra 60 million dollars from it wow there is a piece on the athletic explaining what that SEC revealed and, and all the different sort of points of negotiation Laurie and Dan Sheldon have uh, have written that so I can point you in that direction but perhaps more interestingly Andy now for the immediate future of Manchester United so Jim Ratcliffe had meetings this week with Manchester United fans with local politicians, councillors and so on. What have we learned? You've done a piece as well detailing exactly what was said. Fascinating. Yeah, it was. I spoke to six or seven people there and who spoke on the condition of, of anonymity apart from, from one of them because I wanted to find out what's being said. I think Manchester United fans should be given an indication even though the deal has yet to be done, even though Sir Jim Ratcliffe is limited to what he can say. But every single person I spoke to came back with a similar feedback. These people aren't connected, by the way. These people have no idea that I've spoke to all the other people. And they were like, he's really impressive. I'm cautious. And you know, some of the people I spoke to are really sceptical, cynical people who I trust. And they're like, 
I hope this comes good. And he wasn't by himself. He was with today's Brailsford. He was with Ineos's head of comms, John Cole Blanc, extremely well-dressed, I was told, in his three-piece um, French suit. And you would know. I'd obviously know. That's why I'm passing. No pink hoodie for John Claude Blanc. Then. Turn up with <laughs> pink hoodie on would have been good if he did, though, would it? And and they're serious people. <laughs> I got a sense that they know what's gone on. They are meeting people. They didn't have to meet people. Jim Ratcliffe didn't need to be there. He's a very busy man. He's got a lot on his plate. He had four oh. separate meetings on Monday. Am I allowed to push back on that? You can push back on Come what on you want. So, so when we say so, Jim Ratcliffe didn't have to be there. Yes, he did. Right again. If you are, he, so Jim Radcliffe right now is doing a charm offensive. You know, you, you you start dating someone and they go, "Oh, my ex didn't get me flowers." What do you do the next day? <laughs> you rock up. Such a good you analogy. rock up with flowers. <laughs> Boom. Because one, they go, "Oh wow, actually, I, I want to take you out on another date." And then they go home and they tell all their mates they brought me flowers. And then all their mates go, "Oh, they seem lovely." That's what Sir Jim Radcliffe's doing. The bar was a low one, car, wasn't it? It is. It was a very very low one, and I. Really enjoyed your piece because there are two or three times where the people you're talking to say, the Glazers never spoke to us. He is. And that's why this is impressive because they're just, they're doing, Radcliffe's doing, he didn't have to do it, but he did because he's trying to win you over. And I did also like the person who said he's quite tall. He is tall. But it's not, it's not just, you know, the fans who are predisposed to being won over because you want to hope, you want to hope for a bright future. I like the fact he's meeting local politicians. I couldn't stand up who they were. Mm-hmm. And I should also mention um, Tony Lloyd, who passed away yesterday. He was a great politician for Manchester, very supportive to Manchester United fans. Get in with the local leaders because you want to change Old Trafford, because you want to change the area around Old Trafford. Get ahead of the game. And there's going to be lots of changes there. And we all hope that action will speak louder than words. But the people feeding back into me were like, you know, John Corblanc, he's the guy who, he took M- Mbappe to PSG. He did the deal with Messi. He took David Beckham to PSG. He knows his shit. And he might turn out to be a complete failure. And the default of most Manchester United fans is to hate the owners, by the way. It's not to like the owners. Yeah. It's to criticise yeah. them. And bring it on is what i say if he can make improvements he's putting a lot of money in there i maintain that at 71 72 this is a legacy for him and 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 what he kept saying to people is i don't need any money from manchester united i've got me dough already is what he said in a strong failed with accent <laughs> and right. i believe but, him because he has but but and again he's already got his money but what do you what does manchester united offer a billionaire that a billion doesn't necessarily get from owning a cycling company or owning a clothing Kudos. company. Prestige. 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 Exactly. Of course it does. Prestige and conversation with other billionaires because you're the billionaire that's got the trinket that everyone else wanted. And also you get the hearts and minds of, I mean, 1.1 billion football fans around the world. That's something money can't really buy, air quotes. But that's still good for United, it, isn't it? Because it's still him being invested in it. And I would just put, like, I totally agree with you, Carl. He's, he's obviously doing the things that you're supposed to do, I suppose, in this situation. But it's still probably more than what other owners of Premier League clubs would do that have been there for years. You know, like the Cronkies at Arsenal, um, even Todd Bowley at Chelsea. I bet you Sheikh Mansour's never met Manchester City fans. But yeah. So you've got a direct line with the guy who literally has all this money, as Andy said, all the dough. 
it's 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 quite a privilege. And and okay, again, time will tell. He has to uh, stay true to his word and, and keep doing this kind of stuff. But and, and then actually act on it. But I kind of feel like it's it's still above what the what what the what the base even for him in this situation would be. Absolutely, I agree with you. This is this is a very very slick operator who is doing all of the right things, and this is a very impressive operation. However, this is what he should be doing, right? The fact he's doing this, I'm impressed that he's doing this because it means there are intelligent people in and around this team going, you need to be doing this. And he's gone tick, 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 ticking all the boxes. But because I'm a cynical oink, I am also going, you know, come on, come on. We know why you're doing this. Let's... Let's, let's get to the let's get to the real stuff. Um, one, so one of the comments on your piece, Andy, was I'm really really impressed by this, but actions speak louder than words. So we have to wait for actions to happen. Uh, that's that's my personal space right now. Of I think that's true. And that's fair enough. My, my my very short takes from it were Ratcliffe saying football, football, football. That's what needs to change. Everything flows from a winning football team. Brailsford, elite performance environment. We haven't got one here at the moment at Old Trafford. John Claude Blanc just sat there looking cool as fucking a nice free piece suit. Carry on, boys. No, but I think it is important though to state what the message was as well from the meeting. So was that the the real sense of what you got then, Andy, from what people said that that the message was? We acknowledge that the sporting performance is not good enough. We acknowledge that the sporting structure is not good enough, and they are two of the main aspects of our work to start with. Absolutely, and that was across four meetings, an hour for each one. Three of them were done in person. One of them was done on Teams. And yeah, I spoke to all of these people. And some of these people are really cynical and will hold people to account. I trust them. Like Carl. Like Carl. (laughs) (laughs) Right, before we wrap it up, there's one last thing that we need to talk about. We now know who Manchester United have got in the next round of the FA Cup. It's the fourth round because Newport County knocked out Eastley, which is a relief to me because it means I don't need to practice that pronunciation for the next week or so or get stick off our colleagues for mispronouncing it. Did mean it was a bit of a wasted trip for me to do a little video to wind you up, Andy, this week. We enjoyed it, though. Yeah, well, you did. I mean, I was trying to work out whether, whether they could hold a temporary stand. But the good news is Newport County are building two temporary stands to boost the capacity by 1,400, including 400 away seats for the United fans. Very, very, very hard ticket for the travelling Reds. I'm going to speak to Newport's manager as soon as I've put the phone down to you lot. Hey, do you know who he supports, lads? Newport County. No, the mighty Manchester United. (laughs) And he's a proper fan as well. Really? Maybe that's why he got back to me six minutes after requesting an interview. Maybe he listens to this podcast. I'll soon find out. Yeah, maybe he does. (laughs) Yeah, well, by all means do. That's great. Right, okay, we'll leave it there then. Um, Hell of a lot to get through there today. And um, I hope you bear with us right to the very end because a lot of it was pretty complex. But hopefully, like we will be doing for the remainder of this season, as we've said, we'll try and drill down in some of the big topics on Manchester United and try and explain them and bring more detail as we go along our plan for Monday's podcast is a mailbag we've done this a couple of times in the past and always had a brilliant reaction so please please get in touch with any questions that you've got for Laurie Carl and Andy any thoughts you've got on what's happening at Manchester United at the moment what you think of grown men wearing pink hoodies um, whatever it is 
please get in touch and uh, and we'd love to hear from you. Remember, the way to do that is to use the email. So you have to go to your email account and type in devilspod at theathletic.com uh, and, uh, and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you as always. But for the minute, Laurie, Andy, Carl, thank you so much for being with us and thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Take care. Bye-bye. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.